Billy Crone, who is a pastor in Las Vegas, Nevada, has established himself as an outstanding and passionate preacher and teacher of Bible prophecy. We are privileged to have him today as our special guest. Stay tuned for an interview with him about the rapture of the church. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. My colleague Nathan Jones and I are delighted to have as our special guest today a wonderful Bible teacher who I am sure many of you are familiar with because he has become an internet sensation. His name is Billy Crone. Billy, welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Thank you, Dr. Reagan. It's uh, great to be on. Good to have you on, Billy. Thank you, Nathan. Hey, let's start. We could ask about your church that you pastor, and you have a very uniquely titled ministry called Get a Life. Could you tell us about both of those? Yeah, I'm a pastor in, uh, currently in uh, Las Vegas, a uh, church at Sunrise Baptist Church. Uh, it's actually my uh, third senior pastor. I used to pastor in Northern California, also in New York, and now we've been almost about six years in Las Vegas. Well, God's really put you in a field right now, hasn't He? Las well, Vegas. Yeah. I, honestly, I feel like a kid in a candy store. You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, really, because we're all about sharing the gospel and, and seeing yeah. souls won for Christ, and and Vegas has a population of over 2 million people, and 95% wow. of them don't know Jesus as their Savior. And, of course, we have all the equipment, the ability to mass-produce media, and we put the gospel on every single piece of media, even the written stuff. And uh, so we're out there sharing like hotcakes, and so we're having a blast. But also, Vegas is an international community, and over 3 million people visit Las Vegas from around the world every month. And do they come into your church? Uh, actually, some of them do. Do they? Okay. And uh, and frankly, some I think Christians rationalize their trip to Vegas by coming to coming a church. To <laughs> <laughs> so, but whatever, whether that works. But whatever gets them in, right? Yeah, but God brings the world to you, and so when you share the gospel in Vegas, it's just like, man, you don't know where you're. T- you don't have to go anywhere. God brings it to you, so it's pretty fun. But get a life. That's the teaching ministry. It's uh, been around for almost 15 years now. Okay. And it started back when I was pastoring in Northern California. And uh, based on my testimony, my testimony, the title of it was Get a Life, and I was uh, preaching out of the text, uh, John 10, that Jesus came to give us abundant life, and I used that as a platform to share how I got a life through Jesus Christ. And, and basically how the whole title started was we started launching out into the Internet and the uh, radio, and then uh, a radio station called up and said, hey, we're all set, ready to go, and I called my office, and they said, uh, we need a title. I go, I didn't think about a title. And one of the parishioners was in my office at the time. I just preached that sermon about get a life in my okay. testimony. Okay. And he goes, I go, hey, Bob, what should we call it? He goes, how about get a life? I said, okay, just get a life. <laughs> so that's how it all started. So. Get a life. What are some of the more unique outreaches your church holds uh, being well, in Las Vegas? Yeah, Las Vegas, of course, we're all about sharing the gospel, of course. And yeah. so, and we have the dis- at our disposal the ability to mass produce by the thousands uh, DVDs. And again, every piece of media that we have, whether it's written, whether it's DVDs, uh, whatever online content, everything has the gospel. When I'm done, I, I could be preaching a 50-part series. That's what pastors do. It can't be one, right? Yeah, yeah. 50. And so uh, 50, part, 50 times after every study, pop back up on the screen, give the gospel. If you were to die today, where would you go? And so we, they're not only great for edification for the Christian, but evangelization of the lost. And so we mass produce and we literally go and we've created maps and we literally target areas and we go, all right, let's get this section of Las Vegas and work with that and 
we're just having a blast. Well, I want to shift gears here for a moment and get to our topic for this program, and that is the rapture. You have a wonderful new book called The Rapture. Yeah. Subtitled, Don't Be Deceived. Yeah. And uh, I've been reading through this for the past few days. It's been a real blessing to me. And the preface, you said some things that really uh, got me excited. Yeah. Because I find so many pastors today who just have a blasé attitude about Bible prophecy. They don't want to touch it. They don't want to get anywhere near it. They don't want to talk about it. They say to me, it's all pie in the sky, has no relevance to the present. Found out you were one of those. Yeah. It says right here, believe it or not, I used to be one of those guys you know one of those Christians who said it wasn't necessary to teach and equip the flock on Bible prophecy, let alone the book of Revelation. Right. Well, I could read what happened, but you tell us what happened. Well, really what uh, I got to, my first spanking came when I went to seminary. And I came out of Bible college and I, you know, I'd heard all the different debates and people, this position, that position. And I, I had that same mentality. It's like, you know what, there's lots of things to teach on the Bible, but when I get cut loose, Lord willing, into the pulpit, you know, we'll just cover that stuff. I don't want to, you know, it's, it's the, this, frankly, the lie uh, that, you know, it's divisive. It's not, well, yeah. well, well, first of all, it's like now looking back, it's like, how could I ever even mouth that uh, as a Christian, let alone a pastor? Uh, because prophecy, this is not like one page in the Bible. This is a prophecy, Old Testament, New Testament, first like coming, second coming. Yeah. yeah 31%. So how can you be a faithful shepherd if you're not teaching the flock the whole council, which is what you're called to do? And again, not one thirtieth. You're skipping one third of the Bible. Would it be appropriate if I, as a Christian, I mean, is this what you're going to say from the pulpit? Hey, everybody, just want you to know God's Word's all good for you. Yeah, except you said in your book a, is like yeah. taking a black marker and just black marking yeah. out one third. And if, if a pastor said that, <laughs> would you accept that? Of course not. Or if he ripped out a third and said, I'm just going to teach this part. That's not acceptable. And, so, and again, I, I put that in there because I wanted to hopefully reach some of those yeah. pastors in that mindset. I understand. I was there. But let me tell you, that's not a good position to be in. Also, what I've noticed in ministry, some of the biggest problems that pastors face in churches is apathy and worldliness. It's like, mm-hmm. man, you know, it's the old axiom. Uh, you know, uh, 20% of the people do 100% of the work while 80% of the people do nothing. Well, yeah. why is the church so apathetic? Why are they so worldly? Why do they act like Jesus isn't coming back or we're not? Or this is the best life now here on earth and they forget about heaven? Well, it's because you're not telling them about the future. The Bible's all about the future. And by the way, I think it's also a heart issue. Uh, because I think that many times uh, 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 Christians uh, say that they don't want to hear this because they really love this world. And what's John say? If you love this world or the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Because this is all about, prophecy is about Jesus Christ, the one in whom we say we love, is coming back to get us. Last time I checked, that's good news. And last time I checked, heaven's way better than here. Amen. This place is the bottom of a garbage can compared to where we're going. Right? That instills hope. That instills also the fact of the imminency of that. That instills us to get busy, get cracking. I've got to get rid of procrastination because today could be the day. Number one, I need to risk that relationship and, and share the gospel because this might be my last opportunity. Number two, hey, when he comes back. I'm going to be doing something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What well, am I going to be take doing? A, we're going to take a brief break right now, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the increasingly vicious attacks that are occurring yeah. today on the concept of the rapture. Yeah. Welcome back to Christ and Prophecy in our interview with Pastor Billy Crone about the concept of the pre-trib rapture. Billy. Maybe you could define for us quickly what the rapture is, and then let's discuss the pre-trib rapture, define that, and then get into why there's arguments against it and why it's being attacked so much. Yeah, sure. Uh, Pre-trib, of course, is the position that the church is raptured, harpazo, taken up out of. That's what the word rapture means. 
uh, taken up off out of the earth. Uh, Jesus comes back and gets us pre-prior to the seven-year tribulation. Uh, the other positions, of course, would be like mid-trib that they say, no, the church is in there halfway and leaves at the halfway point. Other position would be like a pre-wrath, which is basically, no, you're in there for about three-quarters of the way. Post-trib, of course, is all the way uh, basically to the end. Yeah. Uh, but the pre-trib position is, no, the church has zero part of the seven-year tribulation. We are raptured out to that point. And as far as why uh, the vicious attacks, frankly, I uh, think that it's spiritual warfare. Yes. yes. And I, I think it's common sense. If you will, put yourself in the enemy's shoes, right? Uh, you're this close to pulling off, uh, if you will, the Antichrist kingdom. What is the last book you want people in? <laughs> yeah. Right? And, if, and it's certainly the Bible and certainly Bible prophecy. Why? Because the Bible and Bible prophecy is the only book on the whole planet that spells out in intimate detail what in the world he's going to be up to. So, of course, you want to keep people out of that. So what's he do? He spreads this lie, uh, whether it be from the pulpit or the individual Christian. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you shouldn't study Bible prophecy. That's going to cause a division. Oh, no, uh, it's doom and gloom. You know, I'm here to find, you know, build up my self-esteem and be financially successful. Uh, don't mess my day up. And, and, <laughs> and that's basically what the pulpits now, which is a whole other prophecy issue on apostasy and stuff. Because the rapture seems to be beaten up in churches more so than the primary doctrines that are of, of essential value, like Jesus is the only way to salvation and that he was resurrected from the dead. But you bring up rapture, and oh my goodness, the the screaming that goes on. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, one, I keep, I think the enemy is keeping the church in the dark. Okay. Because you're going to find out what's going on if you get into prophecy. Uh, but also, the church is going to still be apathetic and worldly and lazy and Land and to see it. exactly. Mm-hmm. And so then you're not working together, sharing the gospel. You don't have that imminency. You don't have that uh, uh, urgency to share the gospel because Christ can come back at any time. You lose all that when you cease to preach a Bible prophecy. Well, let's get into one of the major arguments that I know you address these arguments in your excellent book, but uh, uh, one of the major arguments that's offered, and I run into it all the time, is uh, the pre-trib rapture couldn't be true because it was all conjured up in the early 1800s by an Englishman named John Darby who got it from uh, a charismatic uh, 16-year-old girl who was probably demon-possessed and she had all these visions and, and, and that's where it all came from. Yeah, boy, we couldn't wait to get to that part. Uh, not me, really, because it's like once we, because like, okay, let's deal with the facts. That's a serious accusation. Let's yeah. deal with it. And you're going, you've got to be kidding me. It reminds me of the axiom. You repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, and often enough, people will believe it. And certainly it's that whole John Darby connection. Uh, first of all, I don't believe in the rapture because of John Darby, uh, period. I believe because that's what the Bible teaches. Uh, but when we began to investigate that, there is so much evidence. We have eight pages of historical evidence of people prior to John Darby, and we're talking the first generation after John wrote Revelation 95-96 A.D., who clearly, you know, uh, uh, Clement, uh, Barnabas, uh, Tertullian, Irenaeus, all these different guys. They who, taught eminency. Yeah, they taught mm-hmm. eminency. And, it's like, and this is the next generation after the writing of the book. So, And then all the way forward, we have eight pages in the book. Uh, showing that, are you serious? What history are you reading? Because it's not the real one. There is so much documented evidence of people prior to 1830 promoting uh, certainly eminency and, and pre-mill oh, and things yeah. of that nature. Since the pilgrims even, they were at a huge revival into the eminency of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. Yeah, and again, it's like, hey, I, I, we're, we don't have like secret connection with the CIA and we're the only <laughs> ones who can come across this information. It's like, it's no, there for no, the, it's there. people say, but again, people, they repeat a lie loud enough, long enough, yeah. often enough to repeat it. Then, because we have the companion book, but we also have the uh, DVD documentary set and Bible study curriculum, the whole package to get people equipped. Well, we went over to Scotland in the documentary, and we filmed on location where Margaret McDonald, Port Glasgow. We went and shot at the huh. film at the grave site there with uh, uh, John Darby and wow. uh, and stuff of that nature. So we did our homework too, and that is one of the biggest. And I'm, I don't know how to say it. It's a lie. 
It's just a flat-out lie. And I tell people, like, listen, uh, maybe you've been watching too many CSI episodes and you think you're a good detective, but I'm sorry. If you keep propagating this, you're either, with all due respect, the worst investigator on the planet or you're lying because yeah. this whole connection with John Darby is crazy. It's a shutdown uh, statement. When you say, like, when some people say, well, you're a homophobe, well, then you can't, you're scared to say anything. Yeah. They'll say, well, it's too new to be true, and then it shuts down most Christians from exploring the rapture. Yeah, well, and again, well, John Darby, they say it started with her, her demonic thing, uh, 1830. Well, first of all, it's on historical record. He began to develop his ideas three years prior, 1827. Right. Oh, he had an accident and he began to see he had lots of time to study. And so he began to see a distinction between Israel and the church. And then he began to develop his views three years prior to the 1830 day. Number two, he was aware uh, in our investigation of Margaret McDonald, but he clearly called her out for what it was. Is demonic anyone to have nothing to do with that? Even Wikipedia gets that one right. And even what she said wasn't didn't point to a preacher rapture, right? That one. That's why I said we couldn't wait to get to this because that's the nail okay. in the coffin to me. It's like, come on. All right, the Bible teaches pre-trib. There's plenty of historical evidence prior to 1830 that a lot of Christians uh, did this. It's nothing new, right? And he developed it on his own prior. But listen, when you take a look, and anybody can get a copy, you can take a look at her utterance. It's not even pre-trib. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's the thing about it. Uh, there's a fellow named Dave McPherson who has made a cottage image, uh, uh, yeah. industry out of writing uh, books about this, and and he puts out the same book over and over with different titles. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that and read 200 pages about how all this came from Margaret MacDonald. And then I go to the back to the appendix, and yeah. there's her vision. And I read it like 25 times and could never find <laughs> yeah. a pre-trib rapture in it's it. It's not even yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what blows me away. And I'm going like, okay, I'm trying to be kind. Uh, either stop watching those CSI shows, getting you inspired to think you're a detective because. Your work's pretty shoddy, or frankly, you're lying. Well, I think you touched the bottom line. Satan doesn't want anybody to be uh, interested in a pre-trib rapture. Yeah. Uh, he, he, that's the last thing he wants anybody to hear anything about. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a spiritual warfare. Well, let's let's turn it to the positive side now. Yeah. What would you say are the strongest biblical arguments in behalf of a pre-trib rapture? Well, certainly, we, I think you need to start the evidence uh, for it. Is where does it all begin? It doesn't begin in Revelation. It begins in Daniel. The seven-year tribulation, why is it a seven-year tribulation? Well, it starts back in Daniel. It's the final week of the 70th week prophecy. 69 have already passed with Christ's triumphal entry. Uh, well, you got one week standing out, one group of seven. Seven, why, why is it not a two-year tribulation, 192 years? Why is it seven? It's the final week of Daniel's mm-hmm. 70th prophecy. Mm-hmm. So, go back and do your homework where it first occurs and what was the context. Well, the context, if you clearly read there, is it's uh, Daniel the, uh, with the Jewish people, Jerusalem, the rebuilt Jewish temple. It's all about the Jewish people, yes. not the church. Number two, it specifically says the audience there, it's a time of Jacob's trouble. Not the church's trouble. It's not Paul's demise, Peter's doom, Ananias' <laughs> agony, or whatever you want to pick there. Uh, oh, and by the way, when Daniel wrote the words in that prophecy, where we get the seven-year tribulation, yes. uh, it was, uh, if you do the math, the church wasn't even on the scene. The church doesn't come on the scene until Acts chapter 2, which is approximately 570 years later. So how can he be referring from the church when the church wasn't even in existence? It's He's mystery. not. Also, bingo. Paul says that in, <laughs> in Ephesians, he says, listen, that the church was a mystery, and he specifically says there in the text, he says, and the, the writers of old, which would include Daniel, they had no knowledge of it. So how could it be referring to the church? And when it had nothing to do with the church, the church wasn't even in existence, and it was specifically a mystery to them. 
So the whole thing to me falls apart when you start where it all begins, and that's where you should begin well, in yeah, your investigation. Yeah, and, and he defines those 70 weeks of years as uh, uh, the purpose of them is to bring the uh, accomplish certain goals among the Jewish people. Right. Ultimately, their salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's going to occur at the end of that seven years when they turn to the Messiah. Absolutely. There's no reason for the church even to be there. No, no, it has nothing to do with the church. And then and that's why, uh, you know, brings up another issue. He's, certainly God's going to use that as an opportunity to uh, restore Israel and redeem Israel and the, the remnant. And He's going to fulfill the promises that He's yet to fulfill. Well, what do you say to those who, who claim that the church must go through the tribulation in order to be cleansed and purified? Well, first of all, uh, I think basically what you did is now you're coming into a works-based salvation. Yes. And you're Sounds blind. like a Protestant purgatory to me. Well, that's it's exactly what the note that we make is like all you did was just take the Catholic false doctrine of purgatory and you applied it to eschatology. <laughs> and because you, uh, you purgatory purge, you got to purge off through your own suffering and fire and flames in order to get to heaven. And you sitting there saying that in order for me to be acceptable to God, uh, I have to suffer in the seven year tribulation. That's, that's no different than that. And by the way, that's a works based salvation. If that's truly what you're trusting in, mm-hmm. Man, that's some serious danger, dangerous ground. And the Bible also talks about uh, us being guaranteed from the wrath of God, and the tribulation yep. is the wrath of God. Mm-hmm. It's the wrath of God through and through, but that's where the dance begins with all oh, the yes. positions. Yes. Uh, what is the wrath? Yeah, it, it, and it's but it's uh, to me it's like how do you get around this? Uh, you know they say well no it's only the of course midships said no it's only the <laughs> second half and they said no it's it's only the final quarter or, no it's basically all the way in but God preserves there's no preserving going on look at what's going on there these people being slaughtered like flies yeah. right it's his wrath from the get go uh, and 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 yet this, what's the scripture say Romans five First Thessalonians one First Thessalonians five we are saved from we are rescued from we are not appointed unto God's wrath the church will have nothing to do with God's wrath. And it's easy to demonstrate that it's fully God's wrath all seven years. Uh, even in the first half, uh, there in Revelation uh, 6, it says, Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. That's the first half. It admits it right there. Not only that, in the context, where's it all starting? It's starting back in uh, Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, before it begins in, in 6 with the appearance of the Antichrist. Uh, it says, Who's in charge here? This is coming from the throne room of God. And then in every one of the seals mentions who's opening it up, who's in charge, who's giving the orders. The Lamb. The Lamb opens the seals over and over again. He, the Lamb, opens the seals. Oh, and by the way, who's the one giving the order for the writers to come forth? It's the, the, the living creature. What, what are those? Those are angelic cherub. Angels exist to do God's bidding. Yes. God is in charge from the get go. It's all Him. This is His wrath from the very beginning to the very end until Jesus comes back. Revelation 19. It's His wrath, and the Bible is very clear. The church, we are, praise God, saved from that time Amen. frame. Well, it seems to, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to comment, add to that is when you get to the bowl judgments, it says His wrath is finished. Mm-hmm. It's not its wrath began, as some people place it as a pre-wrath view. What about those who look at Second Thessalonians 2, verse 3, and says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or this worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And folks will point to that and they'll say, well, that means that the rapture has to happen in the middle of the tribulation, and those who are deceiving people are the pre-trib rapture believers because they are trying to say we will be raptured before yeah, the seven years. These three verses are the cornerstone argument mm-hmm. for the biblical yeah. argument yeah. of those who are opposed the pre-trib rapture. Yeah, which me, with uh, all due respect, I said, what Bible are you reading? Is it the one with the purple covers? Is that the Barney version? Because you need to put it down. <laughs> because, I, hey, you bring that up all day long. Let's, let's talk about that text. Yes, nicely. let's do. Uh, because basically what you're talking about there is one of the, in my opinion, one of the most profound evidences for pre-trib. <laughs> yes. It's like, because you're ripping it out of context. He clearly says mm-hmm. there in the context, 
He says, concerning our being gathered to him, to Jesus. What's he talking about? The context is the rapture. That's what he says there, uh, number one. Then he goes on and he says, hey, but somebody's trying to mess with you. That's why he says, encourage one of these words. And by the way, this is Second Thessalonians, which means we already went through this, guys. And I can't believe I happened to, to clarify this again. <laughs> but he had to because somebody's basically saying, oh, by the way, the seven-year tribulation's already started. That's what he says there. He says, don't give to some prophecy report saying that the day of the Lord has already come. What's the day of the Lord? Day of, day of the Lord, seven-year tribulation moving forward into the millennial kingdom. So basically, he says, listen, don't listen to these guys that are saying you're in the seven-year tribulation. That's the whole argument right there. And then he goes on and says, hey, don't let anybody, what, deceive you, which means it's a lie. It's a lie to say that we're in the seven-year tribulation, the day of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He says it's not going to happen until the rebellion or some say falling away. It's apostasia in the Greek, which literally, I think there's strong evidence it could be literally departure. Mm -hmm. In fact, with the article there, it's the departure. So it's talking about a specific departure. In fact, all the early translations translated that way. Exactly. So what's the departure in the context and uh, specifically that the Thessalonians would know about? It, the rapture. So mm-hmm. if you read it, looking at that, it's like he's talking about the rapture. Don't be deceived. Anybody says you're going to be in the seven-year tribulation. That day's not going to happen until the departure, the rapture happens. And then what happens? The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. Well, that's pre-trib. Rapture happens. And Daniel 9.27, Antichrist reveals himself. He's the one who makes that treaty with Israel that's for seven years. That's, he's right revealing there. himself. At yeah. Revelation 6, 1, he's the right horse rider. And then he goes on and he says he's going to oppose and exalt himself. The midway point, the abomination of desolation, he goes on right there. And, and Daniel 9, Matthew 24, Jesus. And then he says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell these things? He's like, I, I love Paul's sarcasm. <laughs> it's like, hey, hello, we've already been through this. Uh, but okay, I know somebody's trying to mess with you, trying to say you're in the seven-year tribulation. It's a lie. Don't be deceived. And then he yeah. goes on, and if you keep reading, he says, and you know what's holding him back, the restrainer. Uh, and, and that the Antichrist can't be revealed until the restrainer is removed. Well, who's that? I believe it's the Holy Spirit in us, the church today. So you read it in its context. That's one of the strongest passages for the pre-trib position. I love it when people bring that up. I say, hey, let, yeah, let's, let's go to that verse, shall it's we? It's the context. They don't go back to right. Daniel. Exactly. They, they assume, well, the Antichrist desecrates the temple in the middle of the tribulation. Therefore, it's got to be a mid-trib rapture. Totally leaving that Daniel says the Antichrist reveals himself when he makes a peace covenant with Israel. Yeah, exactly. It's just completely ripped out of context. Yeah. And so, but again, that's why it looks, hey, let's get it out of conjecture. Let's go back to the Bible. Let's go verse by verse and what's going on here. Preach and when it. you do that, preach it. how do you come up with anything else? Well, you know, one of the things that's uh, always impressed me is that over and over in the scriptures, we are told to watch, to be ready. The Lord could come any moment. The Word yeah. will be ready. And yet, it seems to me that those who do not believe in a pre-trib rapture are actually saying, no, we should not live looking for the Lord. We should live looking for the Antichrist. Well, yeah. I'm not. I'm living looking for Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But how do you get around that? I mean, come on. Well, Why he, should I be live, living looking for the coming of the Lord if I don't believe He's going to come until the end of the tribulation? Because there's so many things that have to take place. Yeah, exactly. Anytime that you're, you know, first of all, it's what's called the blessed hope, right? Yeah. And Paul says not once but twice, encourage or comfort one, one another with these words. With words what? About the rapture. Hey, listen, if I'm in the seven-year tribulation halfway through, three-quarters through, all the way through, what's so encouraging about that? That's not the blessed hope. That's the bad news, man. I mean, this is like, this is horrible. It it makes no sense to the context. I mean, think about this is, Jesus said, this is the worst time in the history of mankind. And I thought about that personally. I thought, man, Noah's flood was pretty bad. You know, everybody got wiped out except for eight people and animals on the ark. At our last Bible conference, we had a wonderful Bible teacher, Ron Rhodes, 
who uh, taught on the rapture. And he took this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 that ends, that describes the rapture and ends with the words, comfort one another with these words. He said, if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, then what you're really saying is, folks, you're facing the most horrible period in the history of mankind. Most of you are going to be slaughtered. You're going to be hunted down like dogs. You're going to have to live in the wilderness. You're going to starve to death. And he goes on and on and in the end, but comfort one another with these words. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense too. Somebody comes to your house, hey, I want to thank you and invite me over for supper. And uh, oh, hey, by the way, I want to let you know I just ran over your dog. Oh, and what, what's you got any snacks? It's, a, it's, it's an obtuse statement. It's crazy. Well, what about those who who can, generally are confused, but that there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming? What are the differences so that people can know that there's actually the one coming but in two stages? Yeah, in fact, uh, that's a good question because a lot of people try to use that as it's one and the same. And No, it's not. And, and we deal with it, and I'm sure there's more. We deal with uh, uh, two different places in the book, uh, 20. We just list 20, not two, <laughs> 20 differences between the rapture and the second coming. Two totally different events. Of course, the rapture happened prior to the seven-year tribulation, second coming at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And it's easy to define it in the context of the Scripture. With the rapture, you see that Jesus, He comes in the air. At the second coming, He comes to the earth. At the rapture, He comes and He gathers His believers to Him. In the second coming, He's coming with the believers. They're coming yes. with Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the rapture, uh, Satan's still doing his thing on the planet. Uh, at the second coming, he's bound for a thousand years during the millennial kingdom. That's why it's awesome, amongst other things. Uh, at the rapture, the false prophet and the Antichrist are doing their dirty deeds. And at the second coming, they get chucked into the lake of fire over and over and over again. It's, with all due respect, ridiculous to say that this is the same event. It can't be the same event based on the biblical text. The only thing the two events have in common is they both focus on Jesus. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, he they're just as different as night and day. Yeah, yeah. there's no way they can be the same event in, in timing. It's so, as you said, the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus is going to be in two stages. First, the rapture, and then later the second coming. It's two stages. Yeah. Welcome back to Christ in Prophecy and our discussion about the pre-trib rapture with our special guest, Pastor Billy Crone. Billy, real quickly in the time we've got, how do you respond to pastors who claim they are pan-millennialists? Well, again, I'm all about humor and sarcasm. I use it all the time. But uh, frankly, that uh, statement really isn't funny uh, anymore. It's not mm-hmm. acceptable anymore either. Uh, we need to, as pastors, as shepherds, we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And uh, we have no right to sit there and leave out basically one-third of the Scripture and with that statement, if that's your excuse uh, to not teach on it, uh, you need to, with all due respect, get, go back to school, uh, get resources, <laughs> get equipped, because we are charged to teach all the Bible, not just some of it. Well, if these pastors want to get in touch with you, could you look in that camera there, give them your website, and how they can get your book on the rapture? Yeah, you could reach us at our website at getalifemedia.com. Uh, you could also call us certainly at 775-410-3754, and uh, you get all the information you need there. And folks, that book is not just for pastors. It's for the average person. It is a very readable, down-to-earth book. Well, that's it for for this week. I hope this program has been a blessing to you, and I hope the Lord willing that you'll be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb & Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. For an in-depth study of the rapture, its nature and timing, you need to get a copy of Dr. Reagan's video program titled, In Defense of the Pre-Trib Rapture. The program runs one and a half hours in length and includes interviews with six Bible prophecy experts. In addition to the interviews, Dr. Reagan presents an in-depth, biblically-based, easy-to-understand teaching about every aspect of the rapture. 
The video program can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. To place your order, call the number you see on the screen or order through our website at lamblion.com. If you call, please call Monday through Friday between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time. Again, the Rapture video app contains six interviews with Bible prophecy experts like Charles Ryrie, Tim LaHaye, Mark Hitchcock, Andy Woods, Tommy Ice, and William Watson. The video runs one and a half hours, and it covers every aspect of the concept of a pre-tribulational rapture, its biblical basis, its meaning, its historical development, and its timing. The album can be yours for a gift of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. Just call the number you see on the screen or place your order through our website at lamblion.com. This is a great album for both individual and group study. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 